Thanks a lot, Charles. Let's talk about radio one last time, shall we? For old time's sake. After all, it might not be around much longer. I've talked about the history of electricity and electromagnetism, which is the foundation of radio, and the exploits of Guglio Marconi, who transmitted radio waves across the Atlantic. But that only gets us to Morse code, dots and dashes. Now, dots and dashes are well and good. They save hundreds of passengers from drowning after your unsinkable ocean liner hits an iceberg while you have sex with Kate Winslet in a car, but dots and dashes don't get you that coveted 18 to 34 demographic. For that, you need the human voice, which is where dudes reading Bible passages and playing Oh Holy Night on the violin come in. Hmm. Something about that doesn't sound right. Oh well. That's where radio, radio as you and I know it, all started here in the United States. So here we are. Right, so other scientific types had run tests experimenting with transmitting speech via radio waves, but it wasn't until 1906 that someone broadcasted a signal out into the wild with the hope that other people would pick it up. That someone was a guy named Reginald Fassenden. Of course his name was Reginald. On Christmas Eve 1906, Reginald Fassenden broadcast the world's first radio entertainment from Brand Rock, Massachusetts. Reginald read a passage from the Bible, Gospel of Luke 2.14, for those of you reading along at home, played O Holy Night on his violin, and asked those listening in to write him and tell where they were when they heard his broadcast. Oh, and he read off that night's Powerball numbers. Turns out the signal was picked up hundreds of miles away, as far south as Norfolk, Virginia. Not bad, Reggie. I still can't get reliable cell phone service in my apartment. While Reggie may have been the world's first broadcaster, he didn't use the term broadcasting. That can be attributed to Charles David Harold a few years later. So, Charles is probably going to want some royalties, Reggie. Charles' dad was a farmer who invented a seed spreader which broadcasted seeds far and wide rather than just in rows. Charles thought that was a pretty good description of what he was doing on the radio, so he adopted the term as well. So, your dad is probably going to want some royalties, Charles. Anyway, like his father, Charles was a bit of an inventor. Only instead of inventing seed spreaders, Charles invented the radio station. Advantage, Charles. In fact, Charles' radio station, San Jose Calling, has been in continuous operation since 1909 and is now KCBS. Game, set, match. Charles brought two major innovations to radio. The first was the omnidirectional antenna. Up until broadcasting, radio was all about narrowcasting. That is, radio transmissions were sent with a specific recipient in mind. As such, antennas were directional, so their signal was transmitted towards their destination. Broadcasting was a whole new ballgame, though. Charles set up omnidirectional antennas around San Jose for all to listen. Go Charles. The second major innovation Charles brought to radio was commercial advertising. God damn it, Charles. Right, so Charles broadcast music from San Jose Calling. And where did he get that music? From the Wiley B. Allen Music Company in downtown San Jose, of course. Come on down. Charles, you son of a bitch. Now, up until the 1930s, radio stations were exclusively on the AM portion of the dial. AM stands for Amplitude Modulation, by the by. In fact, the AM portion of the dial was the only portion of the dial. If there even was a dial. It was the Great Depression, after all. A lot of families had to sell their dials. Very sad. It wasn't until Edwin Howard Armstrong came along, 
of course his name was Edwin, that AM radio got a friend. FM radio was its name. Frequency modulation was its game. On AM radio, sound was transmitted by modulating the height of the waves. On FM, sound was transmitted by modulating the length of the waves. Both techniques had their benefits. AM radio is transmitted on lower wavelengths, allowing it to travel greater distances, whereas FM has better channel separation and more beeper. And therefore, both continue to coexist. FM brings us to the modern era, where radio is still kicking it. Surprisingly so. Satellite radio did not set the world on fire, nobody seems to know what digital radio is, and while internet radio is certainly the future, terrestrial radio, as it is now known, seems to be doing quite alright. Sure, your dentist office might be torturing you with Kenny G's Pandora channel instead of B95.5, and you hipsters are probably listening to Ira Glass in podcast form rather than broadcast form. The really cool kids are listening to the Rafferty-esque podcast. But radio seems to be business as usual, far more so than its fellow old world medias. Why is that? It's hard to say. Obviously, it's difficult to compete with free, so that's certainly a factor. You need a satellite subscription for satellite radio and an ISP for internet radio, whereas all you need is a radio and a tolerance for advertising for radio radio. We can thank Charles David Harold for that. Charles, you son of a bitch. Beyond the free factor, though, there's still something intangibly cool about radio. Some combination of its localness and its old-fashionedness. Anybody can tune into Kenny G's Pandora channel, but you have to be in Albany to listen to B95.5, and that makes it sort of special and comforting. You never know what's going to come on next. Could be Kenny G, could be Michael Bolton, could be some Streisand, or it could just be some dude named Reginald reading from Luke 2.14.